We would like to thank your sponsor, Valley First, a division of First West Credit Union and a member-owned financial cooperative serving the Okanagan, Similkameen, and Thompson regions. They offer a wide range of banking and investment services for individuals and families. Valley First also has a talented business and commercial team to provide the expertise, products, and services local businesses need to grow and thrive. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Business Matters, presented by Valley First, a division of First West Credit Union. My name is Rob Capello. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer here at Now Media Group. Today, we welcome Taylor Whelan to Business Matters. Taylor is a winemaker at Cedar Creek Estate Winery. Taylor, welcome. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me, Rob. Good to no be problem. here. We were joking earlier that this would be much better if we had a glass of wine in front of us, but we'll do that maybe next time. We'll do what we can for this morning. <laughs> we'll get an afternoon time slot. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So um, it's February 22nd. We're making our way through another cold snap. I thought winter was over and it's back. And it got me thinking as I was driving in this morning, does it worry you when you have weather like this? You're like, oh my gosh, does that affect the crop? Does it, or are you kind of used to, hey, this is the climate we're in? Yeah, it's a complicated question. Uh, weather like this is usually okay, like, you know, minus five, minus 10 degrees. Grapevines can handle that, especially this time of year. Right. What, what we saw before Christmas was a little bit more um, uh, worrisome just because it was so early in the season and how cold it got. Um, but we're optimistic. We've had some issues throughout winter for the last couple of years and we've come through okay. So we're feeling okay so far. We're optimistic. And we just, you know, we won't really know until things start to grow again in, in May or so. So a little bit out of your hands, unfortunately, I guess, eh? It's a in the falls in the act of God category. That's in which right. case we all just kind of go, okay, well, we'll try and you know do what we can here to yeah. get the best results. So yeah. Interesting. So I'm curious a little bit about, you know, you have a title winemaker, and I think um a lot of people don't know what that actually means like what you know it's not like you just show up when when you're bottling right like there's so much that goes into it and I know it's a lot to unpack but maybe you can give us a little bit of what you know your day-to-day -day might look like and some things that you actually you're responsible for through the process sure yeah so um you can you can kind of break it down into a few different departments if you will so there's obviously an agriculture component uh, we're working with the vineyard teams throughout the throughout the year, even this time of year, to kind of come to an agreement on what the quality level we're looking for in each block and each vineyard is, and what wines those blocks are targeted to. So that's a big part of our year right now. Throughout the growing season, same thing. We're out in the vineyard a lot, checking on the fruit with the viticulturist, talking about how the vineyards are looking, what quality looks like. And then obviously harvest is, let's say, August now uh, through November. As a very busy time where we're bringing all the fruit in and making the wines so that you can say that's kind of the the production side i guess but in this role there's a big business component finance component as well so probably of anybody i have the biggest impact on the cost of running this business given so much of it is viticulture and winemaking costs Right. So we're very particular on um, wine costs and how we're analyzing those and what our cropping levels are that all feeds into that, as well as where we're selling the wines. Like in BC, it's a huge difference if you sell a wine in the BC liquor store versus if you sell it directly to a customer. Right. So there's a lot of thought that goes into that. 
And then obviously from that, there's all these marketing initiatives and brand decisions and things that, that follow that too. So being the winemaker, I kind of get roped into a lot of that stuff, but I like it too. It's nice. You know, you put so much time and effort and, and heartache into the process that it's good right. to be involved in the different facets as well. So yeah, you're wearing many hats and yeah. Yep. Yep. It can be a bit challenging at times, but yeah, like I say, it's, it's cool to feel like you're, you have a sense of ownership over the business right. when you're that involved in everything. So well, no, no boring days. That's for sure. No, <laughs> not very many of those. No. So I, I usually like to wait a little bit to, uh, until I talk about sort of the journey, but I'm so curious how you got into the wine industry and eventually becoming the winemaker through your creek. So, you know, take us back to Taylor as a teenager, were you like a wine drinker? Like, how, how did you, like, how did you, how did you get like, you know, what, what happened? And you're like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. For me, it was through food that I got to wine. Um, I grew up in a town called Campbell River on Vancouver Island, north end of the island. And uh, we did a lot of, um, you know, foraging, fishing. Uh, My parents had a couple acres and grew a lot of their own food, chickens, ducks, you know, pigs, lambs, et cetera. So that was how I grew up was with this food, like, producing your own food kind of a culture and they made their own wine too, but just through like winemaking kits and stuff like that. They're not getting grapes from anywhere or doing it that way. When I went to school in Victoria, I studied first, I studied fisheries, Uh, you know, makes sense boy from Campbell river, but I ended up getting into wine kind of um, coming from the sideways direction and that, I really enjoyed the restaurant culture of Vic and getting out and trying new food and things like that. And right. wine was a big part of that. And so that kind of opened my eyes to this whole different beverage category, I guess. Yeah. We drank a lot of beer in Campbell River. There wasn't a lot of wine all around. Um, so that's where it started. I ended up volunteering for just a few days uh, at a winery called Beaufort, which is in Comox. Okay. It's the one that James Cameron uh, owned for a bit there. Okay. And um, just trying to get my feet wet and then a couple others outside of Victoria. And I, yeah, I guess I loved that you could connect it to what I was studying at the time, which was um, science, right? Like I was doing science in school, but this was a cool kind of real world application of a lot of the science stuff that I was learning about at school was growing the grapes and making the wine. So that was my first attraction to it, I guess. So you, you finished school, you, you, where you, did you go work at that winery where you just volunteering? Like once, once you graduated, then what, where did you go to after that? I actually moved to Ontario for a bit um, okay. and lived in Toronto. Uh, I was going to go to grad school. This is the expanded version of the story. <laughs> and yeah. I was 21 and I was yeah. registered for a PhD program at U of T. Mm-hmm. And then I like I realized that I wasn't ready for it, you know, and, right. and I went traveling, backpacking for six months down in Central America. But before I left, I sent my applications into Brock uh, mm. in Niagara, uh, yeah. the only winemaking school in Canada, university level winemaking school. Okay. And then when I came back from my, my big like soul searching mission down in Latin America, that's where I ended up was at Brock in, in St. Catharines. 
Interesting. And so then when you, you graduate from school, how did you go from graduating from there to Cedar Creek? What, what's, what's, the, what's the journey there? Yeah, winemaking is kind of interesting in that it's a little bit of a trade. Like you need um, almost apprenticeships to build right. experience right. when you get out of school because you can sure. learn all you want about the chemistry and everything, but it really, it's all just foundational to the actual act of making wine. Yeah. So I worked harvests in vineyards and harvests in Ontario, and then I bounced down to New Zealand and worked uh, harvest in Ox Bay, which is on the North Island in New Zealand. And then I came back and actually worked a harvest here at Cedar Creek. Okay. Uh, and then back down to Australia for a couple more, McLaren Vale and Tasmania. And then I got an email from the winemaker here at the time saying, hey, you got a seller master job available if you want to come back to Cedar Creek and take a permanent job here. And at that time, I was, you know, six harvests deep and, you yeah. know, the travel thing wasn't going to be as appealing forever as a full-time right. job. Right. And Cedar Creek was on a really cool trajectory. And so it's like, yeah, let's do it. So then I came on in 2012, spring of 2012 here, full-time. Interesting. So do you bring, are you able to bring, when you're traveling and, you know, you, 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 you know, you looked at how are you were able in that process or be that process, are you able to bring inspiration from that into what you do today? Like, is that, or do you kind of have to fit around what it's given to you, for lack of a better word, and what you're growing, or a little bit of both? I think it's both, Rob. Like, you can, there's all these different ideas around how to grow grapes, how to make wine, Right. styles you know like you give the same grapes to six different winemakers and you'll get six different wines right so there's a lot of um i guess a lot of flexibility in in how you can make a wine but you always are working with different fruit like so i can learn exactly how to make a chardonnay from hawks bay in new zealand and i come back here and i take okanagan chardonnay and try and make it the same way and it's a completely different wine so you have to adapt what you've learned in New Zealand and be like, okay, I'm going to take this technique or this approach and I'm going to use it on my fruit here in the Okanagan and see what happens. You get a result and say, okay, that's close to what I was looking for. Maybe it's in terms of oak profile or fruit profile or whatever it is. And then that gives you a starting point. And then you can kind of, for the next vintage and the vintage after, you kind of make tweaks to what you want to do and try and get to this idea of the wine you want to make that's in your head uh, that maybe you developed in New Zealand originally. Right. You know? Yeah. Interesting. And, and, you, and I think you've spoken this, but do winemakers, so do they have a style? Do you have a style? Like do you, yeah. you could taste a wine and go, I know this is so-and-so's wine. Like, can you be that specific? Like, do you start feeling that people know your style? Yes. Yeah, you do. It's often a, you taste a wine blind and then the wine right. is revealed and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, <laughs> like, that tastes like something that guy or that, that uh, woman would make, you know? Yeah. So um, it's a reflection of personality and that's something we do talk about a little bit. If somebody's got a pretty hard, you know, unforgiving personality and sometimes their wines are pretty hard and unforgiving and, somebody's quite generous and boisterous yeah. and open then a lot of times they make these big plush welcoming wines that are ready to drink the day after they're bottled you know so definitely that's see that so intriguing that's so interesting so do you have a like do you, do you find you have a favorite like varietal that you work with or do you I mean I'm sure you love them all but is there something that really like you're like wow this is like this is my passion this is what I love when we get to do this 
Yeah, I think Pinot for me is the one. Um, Pinot Noir is uh, it's the it's the terroir grape of the terroir grapes. You know, people talk about Chardonnay and Riesling as reflecting their terroir really well, but Pinot right. is really the best at it. Um, and so, for me, it's it's like translating how we're growing the fruit and the vineyard site into um, into a wine that shows right. the fruit, like how we grew it and the vineyard site. That for me, like you can taste this Pinot and you can say it tastes like our Naramata vineyard and it tastes like 2020 vintage. I love that about the process. And so Pinot is the natural one for me to really appreciate. And so in you you said you started in 2012. Is there a is there a particular wine or vintage that really stands out to you, do you that you're super proud of? You're like, this is like this, this is my gold medal. <laughs> like, is there one that really stands out for you? Yeah. I mean, actually it's probably 2020. Um, okay. a lot of the wines haven't even been released yet. We're bottling today and we've got the oh, 2020 cool. shard coming down the line, but, um, okay. yeah, 2020 for me, we had a, a few things happen. Like our cropping levels were naturally quite low, which means really intense concentrated fruit. Right. And we had a really nice kind of moderate growing season. Uh, got lots of rainfall in the spring. So the vines grew really well in the spring and then it dried out and everything kind of just transitioned really nicely from focusing on producing leaves to ripening their fruit. Right. Beautiful long ripening period. Colors are beautiful. Tannin ripeness was excellent. So yeah, I think as an overall vintage 2020 is probably the best. We did the best job at Cedar Creek that we've done in a long time. And it's probably the best vintage that I've seen since I've been in the Okanagan 10 years now. Yeah. So for, 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 I mean, I think most people in the Okanagan have heard the name Cedar Creek. So I think, you know, brand is, but I'm curious, can you speak to, um, to, you know, what varietals you guys are known for people that maybe not know, and I'm going to show up to Cedar Creek Friday, or I'm going to come Saturday for a tasting. What, what would you recommend? What, what, what would you tell people to do and try and explore? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the winery is on a bit of in a bit of a transition or has gone through a bit of a transition. We were owned by a family called the Fitzpatrick's uh, right. up until 2014. And we made a broad spectrum of wines then, you know, like we had premium Merlot, premium Cabernet from the south. We had Pinot from here. Since we were moved into the new business that we're a part of, we decided to try and streamline our focus a little bit. And so a lot of those premium Southern vineyards, we gave up, but we took on premium Northern vineyards. So that means instead of growing so much Merlot and Cabernet, we're growing a lot more Pinot Noir, Riesling, Chard, uh, Sauvignon Blanc. And that's really the focus now is, is um, in particular, like single vineyard bottlings of Pinot Noir, and then to a lesser extent, Gris, Chard and Riesling, I would say. Interesting. Cool. Uh, and hopefully I have this right. I think in two occasions, Cedar Creek has been named Canadian Winer of the Year. I think it's twice. That maybe, maybe I missed one, but definitely. Yeah, twice, twice with Wine Align uh, yeah. or uh, Canadian Wine Awards. And then yeah. once with Intervin as well, which was, was the other big competition. But the guy who ran that gave it up in 2019 and moved to the Globe and Mail. So okay, okay we've yeah. got three winers of the year. What what sets you apart from other ones? Like what why do you if, if you had to say we became winer of the year because of this, what is it? I think it's two things. It's a focus on quality at all price points, you know, like so we're 
I'm pretty unforgiving in my approach to the entry level wines. There's my feeling is that they should be made the same as within reason, they should be made the same as the premium stuff, the high end stuff and vine age and vineyard site are what really separates the two quality levels, right? Like that for me, it's about the terroir. It's about right. the vineyard age and the site that we're using. So for example, Chardonnay and Pinot, everything's fermented wild. Everything's aged in barrel for the same amount of time. And we're going through, we're saying, this is the best part of that. This is the best part of that. We're going to bottle those as premium. This is all going to be part of our estate blend, even though everything's made the same. It's really right. about vineyard pedigree and quality. So that's that's kind of the focus um, on, yeah, making sure the estate tier punches above its weight, I guess. Right. And then and then we take the approach of you've never done the best job you can do. You know, like even if you're really happy with a wine, you think you nailed it. <laughs> there's always maybe something that you could have done a little bit better and so let's right. focus on that next year you know and so that's the continual improvement has it's uh it's like compounding interest almost where you focus yeah. on it every year and then yeah. 10 years later you're like wow we've really come a long way since 2012 you know interesting yeah there's an analogy i think we talk about it working at one percent better every day you think about it at the end of the year how much how much better you are so that's interesting yeah. um I believe I was reading in 2021, the entire grape harvest Deer Creek is organic. Is that correct? So how did that influence your process? Like, can you speak around that on like, did it have, did you have to change what you did or how does that influence how you were looking at your process in the winemaking side? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So there's two parts to that. There's the vineyard component, which is that our vineyard team are farming the grapes organically, and then they're delivering certified organic grapes to us at the winery. And then when, when those grapes arrive, we can decide if we want to make a certified organic wine or if we want to put them into the conventional wine stream and make a conventional wine, right? We committed in 2019 at Cedar Creek that we really wanted to carry the organic process all the way through to bottling. So uh, A, we didn't feel like it was fair to make the vineyard guys do all that work and then yeah, just yeah. say, <laughs> winemakers, we're going to do whatever we want. Yeah. <laughs> we know best, you know? Uh, let's. So we said, let's let's stick with organics through the whole process. Um, what that means is it has been a change in process. Like there's an awful lot of paperwork you have to do to get the program set up, you know, right. processing plans, uh, submitting thing like winemaking products and techniques to the certifying body to get them to approve it all. Okay. Um, the big, the big thing is a change in philosophy, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. You no longer have this whole uh, retinue of ingredients you can add to a wine to change how it tastes or to change how the ferment's proceeding. Right. You're much more restricted in the, in the ingredients you can use in the winemaking process. And so you have to go back to the fundamentals in terms of uh, vineyards, like how healthy your fruit is, and then just really basic like pH, uh, chemistry, sugar chemistry and temperature and using these variables that you learn about in first year winemaking. Right. They're your big, they're your big controls now in the winemaking process again. Right. So uh, it's challenging because you got to make sure everything is set up really, really well from the beginning. Cause if it goes off track, there's nothing you can do to bring it back from a, from right. a winemaking perspective. So did it change 
the flavor profile in a big way? Like, it, so it, 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 is it is a big difference? I think so, yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of that's the vineyards. Like um, right. we've seen in the vineyards since we went organic, huge changes in uh, cropping level. So much less fruit coming off the vineyards now than there was historically. But that means more concentrated fruit. Right. Right. We've seen smaller bunches and smaller berries. So you have more skin in the fermenter and that means more color, more tannin, more depth. Like the wines are really powerful compared to what they used to be. Right. Um, so that's definitely, that's definitely driven the style in a certain direction. And then from a winemaking perspective, um, yeah, it's changed things a little bit. We're using a lot more natural fermentation, like wild yeast fermentation and things like that now, which has an impact on the flavor. But I think it's all positive, Rob. Like there's yeah. no way I would go back. If somebody said, yeah. if somebody said, all right, if you can, you have a moment to decide, you get to wipe the whole organic transition off the face of the earth like it never happened and go back to what you're doing before, or you can continue on this path no way I would ever go back. Like, I think the wines are so much better and it feels better. The process feels better than it did. We feel like we're doing the right thing now, um, which is a nice feeling to have. So. Yeah, that's excellent to be able to have that for sure. Do you, in your role, do you, get, do you get time to kind of step away and test and try new things as well? Like, are you always, I don't know if you're experimenting, but I can't think of another word. You're always experimenting on the new, something new and uh, all the, do you get often do you get that time often to be able to try that i put blocks in my calendar pretty much as thinking time you know oh, okay. where i'm like yeah i can't i need to have breaks between all the meetings and you know yeah. the blending and everything else to just kind of i keep gazing off screen here i've got a beautiful view of lake okanagan yeah. right outside my window here right that's what i'm looking at and so i like to just kind of okay we've got a let's say we've got a, a wine that we want to make a certain way and we're having a hard time getting it through ferment. Right. You know, we want to wild ferment this wine, but it's just struggling to get through sitting here and just thinking about what the problem is, you know, it's acid chemistry. It's, it's, it's like nutrient in the fruit, the yeast are struggling to ferment, whatever it is. Okay. How could we change that? Like maybe we could go into the vineyard and, you know, maybe it's applying more compost in the vineyard or using these seaweed sprays that we've started to use right um maybe it's taking a little bit of the juice as soon as the wine gets into the winery warming it and getting that fermenting and adding it back to the rest of the wine to get mm -hmm. the ferment kicked off a little bit faster so yeah i think that's really important for the whole continual improvement philosophy is like you have to set aside time to think about things or else you're just going to be flopping around from one problem to another you know fair enough yeah um on that same vein, then outside of obviously we talked about um, organic, but what are some of the trends that you're seeing? Like, what are some of the trends that are happening in the wine industry? Is there anything you can speak to around that? Is there something that, you know, we weren't doing five? I'm sure that's a whole different area. We don't have time to talk about. Like, imagine that over the years, like things have changed, technology, all that sort of stuff. But if we're talking about a little bit forward thinking, what are some of the trends that you're seeing that are coming in the wine industry right now? Yeah, yeah, I think. Um organics is a small part of it but there is definitely a bit more focus or a lot more focus on um, sustainability mm. in the vineyards in the wineries how the businesses are operating you know we're when a, when you boil it down we're kind of a luxury good producer sure. and so um, there's in the industry a much more focus on saying 
if we're going to make these wines, let's at least make sure we're making them um, ethically and leaving the valley a nicer place to live than when we found that we don't want to be degrading these vineyards and having them die on us and all the rest. Like we want them right. to be full of life and, and vitality. So I think that seems to be a real um, swell of, of focus for the wine industry. Hmm. And wine styles actually follow that a little bit. So people are making their wines a lot more naturally than they used to. People are making right. more natural wines than they used to, which is kind of a different thing. But yeah, that probably to me would be a big focus. Hmm. And then I think premium, like even when I moved here, price point was pretty low, you know, a lot of $15 wines and stuff like that in the Valley and the vineyards are older now. People understand the techniques and the processes better now than they did 10 years ago or 15 years ago. The wines are getting better and they're commanding a higher price for sure. And I think it's a good thing. I mean, I understand people are paying more money for the wines, but the Okanagan's small on the world stage. If we're ever going to compete on the world stage, it's got to be on quality. It can't be on volume. So, right. right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I do have a few more questions we're going to wrap with, but before we do, we're going to, we're going to have some fun and, and just talk. A we're going to get to know you a little bit more. We're going to do a thing called Would You Rather? So I've got 10 questions. They're just fun, cheeky. Some of them are. Some might get you thinking, but um, we're going to rapid fire through those, and then we're going to wrap up with a few more questions. Um, th this is probably one I think I know the answer, because. but we're going to see what you're going to say. Are you, would you rather drink red or white wine? <laughs> I'm a white, I'm a white guy. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were gonna say depends on what I'm eating or depends yeah, on <laughs> that's true. If you had yeah. to choose, I know I said Pinot is my favorite variety, but if it's like, yeah, if you take into account everything and what would you drink, especially in the Okanagan, you know, we've got seven months of pretty good weather and white's right. a better wine then. And yeah, I think probably I'm a white guy, Rob. Yeah. Um, would you rather give up your cell phone for a whole month or would you rather not having to either or, or sorry give up taking a bath or a shower for a whole month oh i'd rather give up my cell phone for sure i need, <laughs> I need a shower to get going um would you rather get a paper cut every time you turn a page or bite your tongue every time you eat paper cut okay. would you rather spend a week in a forest or a night in a real haunted house uh I would much rather spend a week in a forest. I do that by say, choice. I was yeah. going to say that. I was going to say, it's probably something you do, aren't you? I can feel yes. that you do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, would you rather be able to speak any language or be able to communicate with animals? Any language, I think. Okay. Would you rather be an extra in an Oscar winning movie or would you rather be a lead in a box office bomb? Extra in an Oscar winner. Yeah. Okay. Would you rather be 11 feet tall or it's nine inches tall. Oh, geez. Probably 11 feet tall. I'm a pretty short guy. So, I, <laughs> you know, like I just like to see what it's like on the other side. I'm a yeah. superhero guy. So I'm thinking nine inches like Ant-Man or something like that. I'm like, that'd be kind of cool to be able to be. Yeah. That. Well, so, yeah. I mean, you didn't mention <laughs> the superpowers that come with it. Yeah, there you go. Um, would you rather go out for fine dining or you like to stay in and order some pizza or something? Um, I like, I like fine dining. I like experiencing new food, like yeah. seeing what chefs are doing, what's new, what they're thinking about, what's local. Yeah. So that it's a treat. I don't do it often, but I think that's probably my choice there. Yeah. 
Sure. Um, would you rather buy 10 things you don't need every time you go shopping or always forget to buy the one thing that you need when you go to the store? <laughs> I feel like I do both. <laughs> uh, especially when you go to the store hungry you go to the grocery store hungry and you buy look at all the stuff i bought yeah <laughs> i guess i guess i'd rather forget because i don't like over consumption so fair i don't want to i don't want to end up with the 10 things i don't need fair enough and last one ask all the time is would you rather be able to use a fork or no spoon or only be able to use a spoon no fork for the rest of your life uh Probably use a fork. fork. Most of the things you'd eat with a spoon are served in a bowl. And then you can, oh, lift, you can drink you can it. Lift the bowl up and drink it out of the bowl. That's yeah. smart. That's yeah. very smart. I like it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks for playing along on that. So a few more questions we're going to ask for a wrap up, wrap up. So one of the things I'm interested in is, I think I was saying before we, we, we jumped online is, uh, you know, you're, you're open a bottle of wine. I'm at home, drink it. I don't think about all the factors that have gone in that maybe I don't think about that would put that would influence that quality of wine. Can you touch on a couple that maybe are not, you know, people think, I think weather, I think like those are things that you may be from a common side, I think, but what are some of the things that you're like, these are these three or four things are super important about the quality of wine that we might not know. Yeah, I guess one thing I always think about is that there is a real human element to winemaking, you know, like um, growing the grapes and making the wine. If a premium wine from Cedar Creek, like one of our premium Pinots, you can expect each individual bunch out there in the vineyard to be touched probably six or seven times throughout the growing season. Hmm. People walking through the vineyard whether it's uh, removing shoots or positioning shoots or removing leaves or thinning fruit or just positioning the bunches so they're not touching one another, they're not up against a wire or something like that. There's a real hands-on element to it that people often don't expect as you get into the, you know, kind of lower tiers or bigger regions like California or somewhere like that, where they mechanize a lot of that, you don't have the same impact, but in the Okanagan, in the premium tier, there is a lot of hand work that goes into it. And it's really hard to, to do that with machines to the same quality level. Interesting. Probably in the winery, it's the same thing. Like I, at, um, at Harvest, we've probably got 80 or 100 individual wines in the winery all fermenting at the same time. And I'm tasting every one of those at least every two days. The red ferments I'll taste twice a day and um, make adjustments to how we're managing the ferment or how we're managing the skin extraction, like that kind of thing. So it's a real fast, it happens like literally I'll be out there tasting, I'll walk back in here to my office and write up some work orders and things like that to give the guys instructions on how to make that wine that day. And then I'll do the same thing again the next day to try and get the best out of the fruit, you know? So it's a, it's a fast process. And it's a, a tailored process, I guess, no pun intended. It's like, uh, yeah, you're, you're trying to adapt to the quality of the fruit rather than force the fruit into the right. idea of the wine you want to make in your head. Interesting. Um, and then there's a huge, like, hospitality component to it as well, I guess. Um, you know, there's five of us that work in the winery here. Uh, there's probably... 75 people that work in the hospitality side uh, in the summer like the peak of the summer 
So there's a huge group of people whose job is to tell the stories of the wine, um, to, to relay what I'm talking about or what our vineyard guys are talking about into something that's kind of consumable for our customers, right? And so that's something that often, that often forget, people forget about is that there's this big, way bigger group of people telling the story of the wine than there is actually making the wine, you know? What makes a good, for you, what makes a great glass of wine? Like, what do you look for in, when, when you're drinking? Yeah. I know you're probably a little bit different than most because you're, you're in it, but for you personally, what makes a good glass of wine? Um, sounds a bit cliched, but, but you know, balance. Like, uh, if a wine is in balance, if, it, if the acidity and the tannins and the, the density of the fruit and the wine are all kind of in balance and right. they complement each other rather than one thing sticking sticking out sometimes that's a timing thing too like it's when you drink the wine mm. uh, in its life you know right. maybe five years later it's going to be in a completely different balance um there's something called varietal typicity that winemakers talk about which is a wine should taste like the variety that it comes from so you every once in a while you taste a wine and you're like i have no idea what i would say this wine wine is yeah. if i didn't wasn't able to look at the label that it can be interesting, but if we're thinking that winemaking should be an expression of the land and the vintage, you kind of should be making wines that taste like those varieties, right? Like that's kind of part of the program. Yeah. So I think for me, that's what I look for as well as like, that's a really nice wine, but it's also a really nice Pinot Noir, not just a, yeah, it's a cool wine, but I never would have picked it as right. a Pinot. It tastes like right. a Syrah, you know? Interesting. Um, last question, because I know we're at time, we're a little bit over, but uh, anything new going on at Cedar Creek? I know you mentioned before, Tom, you got Rosé out now. Is there anything you want to speak about that you guys got that's in market that we should be trying? Yeah, I mean, that, is, that Estate Rosé is the hot ticket at the moment. Um, yeah. Estate Sauvignon Blanc will be coming out uh, very shortly as well, which is the same. It's a very fresh, bright, early drinking wine, so um, worth, worth picking it up and giving it a try soon. Uh, as we move through the spring, we're going to see another rosé, our, our platinum rosé that'll come out, which is always a very popular wine. That'll be May, probably. The thing I'm most excited about is, is we've got four single vineyard premium Pinot Noirs coming um, this summer from 2020 vintage. We've wow. got a Naramata, we've got a Cedar Creek vineyard, we've got a Symes vineyard, which is just down the street a few kilometers from us. Yeah. And then a DeHart Vineyard, which is on DeHart Road in East Kelowna. So yeah. four individual bottlings, all produced really similarly. The idea being you get to taste them and see the vineyard differences. Yeah. I keep coming back to it, but terroir, 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 right? So, yeah. you know, let's say June or July, come out to the winery, get the experience and sit down and try these four wines and let, let our ambassadors kind of walk you through yeah, that's Noir in the north, you know? It's cool. Very interesting. That's very cool. Well, a yeah. lot of cool stuff going on there. And I, and I really appreciate you taking the time and chatting to, I know we, I could probably ask you another hour worth of questions, but I'm cognizant of your, of your time as well. So I, I, I love talking about the journey and, and I think next time I have a glass of wine, I'm going to be thinking about all the work that goes into it and all this, like it's, it's, there's so much, there's a real, I guess, labor of love for you that goes into every single bottle and glass of wine that people have right so yeah yeah you want to taste the love in a wine you know you want to feel like the people who made it really cared and were really doing their best and i think yeah. we do a pretty good job of that here at cedar creek so 
Yeah, it's awesome. Well, Taylor, thanks so much for joining me this morning. I think it was a fun discussion and uh, I would encourage anyone that hasn't gone up to Cedar Creek yet, go check it out. You'll 100% be impressed. I know you will. So make sure you go and, and check it out and, and, and try. I'm interested in trying these different penals. That's, that's an interesting thing to think about in, when the time comes. So thank you again for taking the time and chatting with us. Thanks, Rob. Really appreciate um, it. Everyone else have a great rest of your day and thank you for tuning in to Business Matters. Thanks, Taylor. Thank you. We would like to thank your sponsor, Valley First, a division of First West Credit Union and a member-owned financial cooperative serving the Okanagan, Similkameen, and Thompson regions. They offer a wide range of banking and investment services for individuals and families. Valley First also has a talented business and commercial team to provide the expertise, products, and services local businesses need to grow and thrive.